Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST-accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hi, welcome to What's the Schemata. This is the online uh, schema therapy podcast for people that want to learn a bit more about schema therapy. My name's Chris Hayes, and I'm here with Rob Brockman, and we've got a very special guest today, don't we, Rob? We do. We've got um, Wendy Bihari, um, who's um, logged in all the way from New, New Jersey, United States. Uh, and, you know, as we know Wendy as author of Disarming the Narcissist, um, and we also know her, know her very intimately as ex-president of the ISST, of our community. So we're, we're absolutely thrilled to have Wendy here to talk about issues to do with narcissism. Yeah, Thank you, so, Thank you, Rob. Nice yeah, to be well, with you both. So uh, we we thought today we might go for a bit of a, a martial arts theme because we can consider you as um, almost like our uh, sensei of narcissism <laughs> and working with um, narcissistic clients and overcompensation and empathic confrontation. So, and I think everybody in the community basically has read the book. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's how I really got to know your work, Wendy. So that's um, disarming the, the narcissist. Yeah. 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 And often we all, as the schema therapists get asked a lot about, about issues to do with narcissism. It's a kind of, let's, 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 um, it, you know, as much as it's difficult to maybe treat patients with that profile, it is also a kind of very interesting topic for therapists. You know, we all love talking about this topic in a way. Um, so we thought it'd be really cool to do that today. And also just the concepts of using empathic confrontation, it is like a bit of a ninja move for a therapist. I, I consider it as, you know, you're there and you, you, the client is expecting you to go one way and then you do this flip and it come around the other side and catch them off guard in that way. So, so. You have to be quite grounded and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so maybe we can talk about that today as well. But um, so let's kick it off. Yeah. You like it? You're going to use I that? I do. It, it's you're, a very good metaphor, especially that last part. I think that's true, Chris. You know, it's it's sort of catching them off guard. And what we're trying to do is really take down the guard because so much of what they're doing when they're in these modes is guarding against vulnerability. Yeah. So uh, I like it. I get, the feeling, might, I get this image in my mind of like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, where you're kind of <laughs> flipping over and then yeah. it's like, I don't know where they've gone. Um, yeah. but look, Wendy, you know, you're the sort of the go-to person in the ISST community in terms of, you know, narcissistic, you know, presentations. And, and as we mentioned, um, empathic confrontation and you know we're just interested you know a lot of people would pull away from this and sort of go look that's not really my scene right you know but you decided to write a book on this and focus you know a lot of your professional life on this so how did you fall into it what, what was the thing that brought you into that area yeah thanks it's a <clears throat> it's a good question i'm glad you asked it because people will sometimes assume i'm some sort of a masochist um it's <laughs> not not something i deliberately planned to do was to become an expert in narcissism but remember i go way way back with jeff to the beginning of schema therapy and in the early 90s when the mode approach for bpd was already underway um, we started getting curious about this approach with narcissism me in particular because i was finding myself getting triggered and i was really curious and a bit alarmed at my own reactions when i was faced with someone on the narcissism spectrum 
you know, as I write about this in my book, I, and a lot of people can relate to this, you feel just reduced to your kind of childlike state where you're giving into their demands, you're ignoring their criticisms, you're sort of changing the subject and just moving away, you're permitting them to uh, stomp all over you if they want to, and you're apologizing for things when you haven't done anything wrong. So I was surprised at my own kind of intimidated reactions and feeling threatened and going into these maladaptive coping modes. And Jeff and I began experimenting. Um, and some of my narcissistic patients were happy to be videotaped. So we have some classic, you know, footage from our early work with narcissism using schema therapy and developing this mode approach. So that's kind of how it happened. I was, I was really curious. I wanted to figure out how to be more effective. I found them interesting because, you know, behind the wall, you could see and sense an insecurity and a feeling of shame and, and a loneliness that lived there. And it has been an unbelievably rewarding journey for me of almost 30 years. And it's never surprising that the house is packed when I'm lecturing. And that's because therapists are also curious and intimidated and overwhelmed when they're dealing with them and just want to know how to be more effective or they're just wanting to peek inside themselves and figure out what's going on when I'm in the space with a narcissist. They don't necessarily want them in their practice. Um, I wish more would because I always have plenty of referrals, but mm. unfortunately it's hard, you know, it's really, really hard work. So actually your, your own, I guess the challenge clinically for you was often coming up in this space and and even within yourself and sort of getting curious about what what is this all about and then having jeff young accessible probably was pretty awesome yeah. and then thinking how do you know maybe we can work this through and develop this more mm -hmm. it seems that there was a fair bit of openness to sort of play around with the model and sort of your own skills i'm guessing i'm hearing from you as well yeah that'd be right yeah i mean we talked about it we, we actually i'll never forget you know when we started talking about making these videos and experimenting the very early stages of this mode approach with narcissism. Um, we sat on a beach in Cape Cod where Jeff was lecturing and I was giving a case study during that presentation and talked about the effects on couples and relationships. It was actually the beginning of thinking about even schema therapy for couples. Mm. And is it possible? Can we do it? And what about when you're dealing with issues of narcissism where there's so much at stake and the whole notion of leverage? So there was a, a lot of you know back and forth, wonderful collaboration and dialogue and figuring out how to make this into a model that could, you know, one day be tested to see yeah. if it truly is a reliable method for treating narcissism. I think it's a good model because a lot of people that want to learn more about, you know, schema therapy or, you know, learning how to do, you know, work with these sorts of clients, they're often not that willing to try new things or go out of their comfort right. zone. So obviously mm -hmm. that's a big part of your learning process. Yeah. yeah. And when did the first, I mean, I'm curious, Wendy, hearing about you sitting on the beach with Jeff Young and all this kind of stuff. Um, when did you first hear the, the term aggrandizer, like that, that sort of mode? And, or, you know, did you come up with it in, you know, together with Jeff on the beach or something? Or, how, you know, when did you first come up with that term or hear that term? You know, the term has been around, you know, in, I think, probably graduate school. I heard the, the idea of a self-aggrandizer. Um, but 
it never made more sense to me than when we began to think through this model, you know, this idea of modes and how they look when they're in that fight mode. So, you know, thinking about the primitive system, the survival system, and when you're in a fight mode, narcissists have probably the most diverse opportunity to go between entitled, self-aggrandizing, approval-seeking, bullying, controlling, mm. even just kind of showing off. I mean, this is all part of the overcompensating mode. And self-aggrandizement, I think, comes right out of the idea of grandiosity from the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, mm -hmm. you know, the original diagnosis on narcissism. So it was just kind of in keeping with this idea that they're constantly, when we, were th when we would think, you know, we'd get in our little think tank sessions, and we would think about how to conceptualize this. It's like, what purpose, what function would it serve mm. to be always showing off and proving yourself? Mm. It has to be for trying to compensate for some kind of a deep insecurity. Yeah. So this is where, you know, we would kind of travel in our thoughts and in our discussions about, mm. you know, why self-aggrandizement became so clear and obvious to us. Makes sense, Wendy. Makes sense. Um, thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. Yeah. And I guess this leads on to another, a bit of an idea. And I, I like this idea of a narcissistic spectrum. Mm. But, you know, I think we've, we've noticed, you know, Chris and I, but also I think anyone working in schema or, or even psychotherapists, people with NPD and issues to do with narcissism are a pretty diverse group. Yes. Um, you know, I've had experiences, I think we've all had experiences that where you know, um, it's quite a lot of fun working with someone with that kind of background and with those kind of behaviours, you know, they can almost be charming. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, you know, we've had the opposite experiences where you might feel some dread going into every session with particular people, um, you know, and, and we get activated and that sort of stuff. And everywhere in between, yeah. um, there's also ideas around, of, of you know, we've, we've noticed... Um, some patients with this kind of a diagnosis can be very, very sociable. Um, mm -hmm. Others, others, they're being, you know, a real problem to do with, with, you know, their socialization and skills to do with uh, social skills. Um, some profoundly, yes. um, you know, how do you explain that diversity? When, have you noticed similar to us and how do you conceptualize that within, within a schema idea? You know, and I guess yeah. I know there's a lot of, lot of questions packed in here for you, Wendy. Um, mm. and, and I guess this leads to me. Do you see that there could be sort of subtypes within, within this spectrum? So I'll add one more question that you didn't ask that probably fits in here too, because here in the U.S., the term narcissism has never been bigger and constant I and wonder why. It's as if it's a one size fits all, you know, and it's not a one size fits all. And not everyone who's a little bit um, self preoccupied or self absorbed is a, is a narcissist or fits the criteria for NPD. You know, we have our um, lack of leadership, <laughs> as I like to call it, or the one who calls himself the fearless leader, um, who has, look, it's, 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 I've sold a lot of books <laughs> since 2016. And um, for me, that's probably the only good thing that's come out of this. But there's, you're looking at the severe end of the spectrum when you're looking at narcissism like this. If we were to employ our um, prohibitive diagnostic <laughs> labels or impressions about what's going on with Trump, 
um, it, it is a very diverse group. You know, when I wrote my book, the first edition of it, Once Upon a Time, I was invited to write this book because I had been writing articles about narcissism and schema therapy and the publishers actually came to me and said, would you expand this into a book? And I thought, okay. And never did I imagine it would become a second edition and now soon a third edition and it would be translated and it would do so well. And I'm proud of the little book because it was just getting my thoughts down on paper and hoping to inspire people who were struggling and help therapists who were beginning to learn this. And, uh, but narcissism is a big word here. And I think it's a big word now that's no longer just limited to our professional uh, community. It's, it's in everybody's household. It's on the news. It's in every byline and headline. And it's a little problematic because it doesn't necessarily capture what's really all about the essence as you just articulated in all those questions, Rob. And they're important questions because we do look at narcissism as happening along a spectrum, right? So it can be anything from the mildly off-putting, obnoxious, little self-centered, a little too me, 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 show-offish, mm. little too um, let me tell you a story and goes into a long-winded, you know, some kind of oration on whatever, um, to the much more severe, which is dangerous and can be more aggressive, maybe even tipping the border into antisocial behavior and then everything in between. But I think what sews it all together is that you're always going to find as a common underlying theme, this, this notion of pretty supreme self-absorbed focus, a lot of preoccupation with self mm -hmm. um, an insecurity around worth and value being associated with how I show up, what I do, and not just being me. Um, so the authentic self, the vulnerable self, the emotional world, the intimate world, the common denominator there is that they're not very good at that. You can feel charmed and have a lot of fun with the ones who are just charming and funny and witty, but they're not really intimate. You know, there's you a difference really know them. Yeah. I'm sorry? You never really know them when they're, when they're in that side. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they may seem easier, that type, because they're always filled with interesting banter and funny stories and thoughtful stories and they can, they're bright mm -hmm. and they really can kind of take us on a little, they can, like we can drift into their world and forget about what we're mm -hmm. doing. You know, I always, so when I'm teaching, I always say, you know, I can get caught up like anybody else in a great mm -hmm. story that the narcissist is sharing. I have to go like this. But it say, doesn't feel minute, as malignant, know? like at least in the sessions, it doesn't feel as malignant for us. Right. Um, we might, may not have those difficult reactions. Well, until you poke, until you poke, yeah. until you interrupt yeah. the interesting story, until you challenge the charming mm. behavior and look for what's behind that, until you ask questions about, you know, what is it you'd like me to know when you're being so charming and complimentary? Did, where did you learn that you have to do that in order to connect with someone? Mm -hmm. and then you'll see but it, most therapists don't go looking for trouble so you yeah. know when you poke you mm -hmm. might see that there's a lot more happening so they'll either shut down they'll become a little more insulted Could be or insulting you or know. insulting um, right so, yeah. so therapists could really collude really and, and sort of see a side which Absolutely. is sort of more of a healthy version I mean, that, that leads me to my question, you know our question you know thinking a little bit more about is there a healthy variant in some cultures, you know, or, you know, most cultures sort of don't really 
sort of take narcissistic kind of um, presentations uh, with a positive spin. Um, yeah. Is there a healthy variant? And, and, and also, I mean, do you think that there's, how do you think with the social media element? Because everyone's always asking me, you know, do you think there's this going to be this wave of narcissistic, you know, sort of generation with this absorption with social media and things like that. So yeah, is there a healthy variant and are we expecting more over the horizon? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, these these are also both really excellent questions, Chris. And it sounds like an oxymoron, right? Like it seems kind of um, weird to say healthy narcissism. Mm. And yet we know there are folks out there and you probably have them too, like we do in our country, you know, with these icons like Oprah Winfrey or, certain politicians, even political figures who have what Jeff Young would call the narcissist, perhaps with a heart of gold, you know, so mm-hmm. there's, they're on a mission. Their mission is very clear and their mission is all about creating good, doing good. Uh, and they do a lot of good, but they'll step on your toes. They'll get in your face. They'll in order to do good, much. in order to make sure they're doing good. In order to make sure that they accomplish their mission, mm-hmm. that so, reminds and I think me of they, like they just have a larger dose of confidence and a larger dose mm-hmm. of, you know, I can make this happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Do you um, see that as being to do with there being uh, some some dose of self sacrifice in there too, a sort of version of narcissism which is also expressed an expression of self sacrifice amongst other schemers? It's possible, sure. It's always possible that you can have that mix, that variance. I think more often it's that there's a resonance some you know interestingly enough i think the this myth that they can't be empathic i think they can't be empathic they have the capacity for it it's just so underdeveloped because of Mm. they're constantly shielding themselves with this armor Mm. um, against vulnerability but the i think the ones who are on the healthier end of narcissism actually might resonate with people suffering and so there is this strong intention and this need to want to create good. And it's not just for their own hero worship. There may be some of that, right? That's part of the narcissism. But there's also the healthy side, which is truly trying to create good, possibly because of resonant effects, you know, remembering yourself as having struggled or been poor or been alone. Mm. And what is it about, I guess we're talking about healthy narcissism, what is it about the people with these traits it just seemed to get into positions of power, like, you know, at, at a higher rate. You know, I've, I've worked in quite a few different departments, be it in academic departments, different things. And it's, all, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just me. It almost always feels like someone with these traits is at the very top. Um, and, and I've seen examples where of, you know, the more sort of engaging, sort of almost charming, you know, it seems to work for them a lot better. And I've seen the other, the opposite end where it's like the whole place is toxic and falling apart and it's very malignant. Um, You know, why is that? Why do people with these traits seem to float to the top? And, and, And most of those that float to the top, even those that do good and those that seem to be incredibly successful and effective are probably still suffering somewhere in their intimate life. But why do they float to the top? Think about the traits of narcissism and the origins. They're highly competitive. They're very driven. They're hyper-autonomous in most cases. So it's all about performance. It's all about winning the prize. It's all about being the best of the best, not just good. And it's all about having power and control so that no one can control you, take advantage of you, 
They have high mistrust issues of being manipulated. If you're at the top, less chance of being manipulated. You can be the manipulator. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that surprising that they rise to the top. They are usually the chosen child in the family, so they're bright. And they may have certain gifts that allow them to rise, you know, to the top, like, you know, the, the creme de la creme, as they say. So they, they rise more naturally because they are gifted and talented and they're willing to work extremely hard to mm. win the prize. Yeah. Yep. So since I, Wendy, the karate kids here, we were doing quite, quite well so far. <laughs> We've practiced some of our moves. <laughs> well, as I said, sometimes wax on, wax off. Work, <laughs> that's right. That's what like when I say to my patients who are, I've treated many surgeons who are highly narcissistic and my, I'll say to them, you know, look, I would be the first one in line for surgery with you because, yeah, yeah. you know, your precision and your experience and your demand for excellence and perfection, which makes you so renowned in your field, absolutely mm -hmm. put me on your operating table, but I don't want to live with you. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go right. home with you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're sort of taken aback mm. by statements like that, but that's really what it's all about. It's all, mm. they're good in the doing, not all of them, but most of them are very good in the performance, mm. not so good in the connection. So what's the cost? What's the, what's the cost of it all? Mm. And that's the um, ninja move really, isn't it? In terms of being able to kind of what they expect you to respond with and you're doing a new, you know, angle on <laughs> their behavior. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking, like this is one of the, you know, a couple, a couple of months and it's, you know, um, in reference to Trump um, and the, the, the blimp that was in London, I remember a couple of months back the, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a nappy or I think in the, in the States, you call it a diaper. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, p p you know, sort of portraying him as having it almost like a tantrum, like a, you know, angry yes. child floating around. Yeah. I'd just be interested in, you know, sort of uh, get a sense from you. Like when I've looked at sort of formulations uh, for narcissism, often you don't see a lot of angry child. You see the aggrandizer, the lonely child, maybe a detached self-soother who's sort of gaming or, you know, mm -hmm. gambling or something. But yeah, would you, how, could you comment on that? Is that just a popular culture sort of um, kind of judgment or how would yeah. you say the no, this is flip? great this is this is really important for our schema therapy community because this is such a confusing issue when anger shows up with narcissists and I, I think we again we have to go back to our conceptualizations the beauty of our model is that we have this conceptualization that can remind us of this thing I call the map right the conceptualization is like the map and so you see you know, you set your navigator, you see your destination, the destination are the needs that we're trying to meet. What are the needs that were not met well for narcissists? Limits, right? And for those that are purely spoiled and entitled, because we have that version, mm -hmm. temper tantrums are not uncommon. You know, you're going to see a temper tantrum if they don't get what they want, when they want it, mm -hmm. like that. You're going to see that even with those who may not have been purely spoiled, but they're of that more vulnerable type who were not well-loved, who may even have been harshly criticized with great burdens and demands placed upon them for performance, where they had to forfeit their little childlike self. And so they too, when they're upset, it's not an upset that can be, I'm scared, I'm hurt, I'm sad. It's anger, because anger is forceful. Anger probably came easily without consequences when they were very young. So again, we, we see this need for 
limits, we also don't want to quickly abort the mission just because they're angry, because we want to keep peeling back to get at the vulnerability and to get potentially at an angry child who felt you know, forgotten, mm -hmm. felt lost, felt tired of always being told they were weak when they showed mm -hmm. any signs of emotional vulnerability. So there's, you know, we believe, we posit that there is probably some anger about that in the child, mm -hmm. but it's not what you're classically going to see in narcissists. You see them either going into bully and attack, a more, yeah. more controlling mode mm -hmm. and the overcompensator, or you're going to see them in what's just kind of an impulsive childlike tantrum, maybe even more adolescent-like, rebellious, uh, because limits were not adequately placed. They didn't have good discipline. You know, it was all about achieve, 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 and then do whatever you want. Mm. As long as you're the best of the best in your academics, in your sports, in your music, in your art, I don't care what you do. So really it's about sort of coming back to the formulation. I mean, you know, that's sort of something that yeah. I've kind of always been reminding myself of is that it's back to the formulation and yeah, you can have different variants of anger, but it might be, could be driven from different modes. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the question, you know, for me, the question always is what's the motivational driver behind this? And I'll look at my patient and say, what is it you want me to know? What is it you really want me to know? And of course, they get very snarky and upset and more angry. You know, what are you deaf? What, you can't hear me? Can't you see I'm upset? Mm. I can. But what I'm asking is, what is it you want me to know? What is it you want mm. me to hear? What is it that, what's the takeaway point for me in this? Why are nice. you telling it to me? Why are you telling it to me? And that's really to get at the message underneath. Because again, where they struggle is intention. You know, if I intend to say to you, I care about you. I want you to know I care about you. I'm going to posture myself, my voice, my face, my eye contact, everything in a way that you can feel my intention that I care about you. Yeah. But the narcissist may be feeling here, I'm scared, I'm lost, I'm lonely. And what you get is, what's wrong with you? This model's stupid. This isn't gonna be helpful. Where are we going with this? I'm wasting my time. Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound anything like I'm scared, I'm lost, I'm fearful, this isn't going to work. So intention and impact are very so interesting of, pieces of work. So that sort of anger that's to do with coping, of course, always feels like you're being pushed away. Exactly. Um, but you're talking about actually getting into almost the child anger to find out, you know, what, what is that really about for you? Yeah, and even, yes, the child anger, but also the vulnerability yeah. that there's a hurt, there's a fear. And in here, in here, Joe, it's safe to feel it. Okay. I know you're not used to this. Here's the empathic confrontation. I know you're not used to this. This isn't your fault, right? You were trained to kind of keep all tears away, to keep your emotions tucked away, to be fiercely strong, competitive, and able-bodied from the time you were three. So this is a safe space. But here is a safe space for other, for other stuff, for feelings. For other for, feelings. For needs. And yeah. Exactly. For needs. For needs it's, to kind of, it's kind of alienating for the therapist, isn't it? When you've got someone sort of kicking off in different directions and yeah. the, the therapeutic relationship you know, being such a yeah. big part of the healing process. The yeah. therapeutic relationship for me in working with narcissists is the therapy. It's so much of it. I mean, yes, imagery is a beautiful thing and we use it and mode mm -hmm. dialogues are wonderful and we use them. But I think when you work with narcissists, what's 
heads and tails above everything is that therapy relationship because you're yeah. kind of playing it out in a, in a very real way. Yeah. You're constantly reflecting on what's happening mm. in their world out there. So that's the way you would have apologized to your partner. So, so you're... that's the way you would have expressed your disappointment. So that's the way you would have told your colleagues that you know, they were past deadline. Is that the way you would have done it? You know, you're constantly using your little microcosm in the yeah. treatment room to understand. It's almost like your limited reparent. You're leaning on that more. Yes. And it could, be, it could be as good or better than any rescripting you could do is, is playing that out in the therapy relationship. Hmm. Um, yes, you play it out in the therapy relationship. And then, and then the rescript, what's beautiful about the rescript, which happens once you have a very well-fortified therapy relationship. And Jeff Conway and I demonstrate this in the videos that we recently produced and have been um, selling to members. It's, it's, um, it demonstrates how once you have that fortification in your therapy relationship, it's not that hard then to have them imagine what it would be like to have a dad who just loved them for themselves without yeah. having to prove anything, you know, and yeah. to rescript down that path. Yeah, I've got this image in mind of uh, the Matrix with um, you being steadfast and you're getting copying all these sort of punches and you're sort of bending, bending backwards yeah. and, and yeah. sort of being flexible and dodging, dodging bullets, but you're still there <laughs> connected with, with the patient, you know, and I think it's, it's hard. I mean, you yeah. know, you know, being kind of steadfast and stick to your guns. And We've got some themes for your next book, Wendy. We've got the <laughs> yeah, sen Sensei with a title in this that, so, you know, uh, skimmy therapy, sensei approach, or the matrix approach, or something. <laughs> I think that's where we're going. But um, well, it's, it's, I think what Chris is kind of keenly picking up is that you really do have to be sturdy. Mm. And you, you may, you know, we flex, of course. We're flexible as schema therapists, but we're not so flexible that we're colluding with avoidance or we're colluding with entitlement. Um, mm. So, we have to be sturdy and that's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest part of the work is to keep ourselves in a sturdy posture so that we can be persistent and we can be caring and we can be reparenting them. Could you say something more about this, Wendy? Yeah. This, I guess, you know, this is a, can be a very challenging population for, for many therapists. Um, yeah. You know, they can be quite activating for us. And I think, I think yes. everyone can kind of agree on that. Um, can you say something more about that? Like what tips would you give, you know, the budding therapist going forward for being able to develop that centered self uh, to deal with, uh, you know, clients like this that might, might activate us? Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, you want to reflect on what's getting triggered in you. So do a little inventory of your own schemas and modes and see what about this experience when you're triggered is reminiscent of something in your own early life. What about this feels oddly familiar and uncomfortable? And what about this feels like the way I would have reacted to X when I was six years old or seven years old or four years old or whatever it is. Mm. And I'm doing it again. Something about this in the same way we do with our patients when we're trying to begin to uncover the links between present day experiences and earlier life experiences. So do your inventory get good supervision or good schema therapy yourself to, to work through yeah. this and figure out how you can begin, you know, to, I mean, what I do now, I mean, I had Jeff, I was so lucky. I had a friend who was, you know, the master of schema therapy, Pretty thinking cool. it through, working it through and helping me through. 
some of my own challenges in the early days. But you know, what I do in preparation for every session is I take a few minutes before they come in, I breathe, I remind myself of my abilities, mm -hmm. and I remind myself um, of their story. So I take my little photographs out of my narcissistic patients, and I look at them, and I do the once upon a time, there was a little boy who, and I re quickly review the story in my mind. Mm -hmm. This is who I'm trying to reach and connect with. Mm -hmm. This is who I'm trying to heal and help. And everyone else who shows up, the warriors and the controllers, you know, they're masks. I have to yeah. see them as the masks. I take little Wendy and I tuck little Wendy into a safe place. Yeah. So she I mean, are you a believer, Wendy? Are you, are you a, I mean, I've become a bit of quite a believer and a fan of um, self-practice and self-reflection work yes. that's been out there and our colleagues, uh, Joan yeah. and I have been uh, yeah. working on. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you say something about that? Do you, yeah. Do you, yeah, do you, I mean, do you also is, think it's important work for us to, to sort of make room for in the journey? I think it's critical work for us to do because we're working with some of the toughest patients when we're using schema therapy. We're working with personality disorders. We're working with chronic symptomologic disorders. These are some of the toughest patients we face. And narcissists are probably the toughest that we face as a population in the treatment room because they bring all the elements of defiance and rigid detachment and anger and control and cynicism and even aggression, things that are just rattling to any human, let alone a therapist. So I think self-reflection, self-practice, you know, taking those moments to secure ourselves, to put ourselves in safekeeping. I always say just enough so that it's not the five-year-old me in the chair, but not so much that I'm a robot. So I wanna be able to feel the pinch, the ouch, mm. the ooch. Oh, that, yeah. ow, Joe. Wow, that was harsh. Yeah. So look, you don't want to go in there that. with like a, you don't, wanna, that. you don't want to go in there with your de detached protector on. No, um, right. You don't want to go in there with your detached protector. Yeah. Look, I mean, right. related to this, I've got, a, I've got a question I've been thinking of it's a, recently about this. So there's this issue of, um, I guess, sometimes therapists can almost be over -emp -em empathic. Mm -hmm. you know, over empathizes that they feel everything, you know, that come, you know, of the, of our patients, you know, uh, you know, can you say something about that? I mean, I'm sure you've run into it. Um, what do you think about that idea? And how do we work with that in schema? Cause it's almost the opposite issue of, of narcissism. I think it's, I think like anything, when you're overwhelmed, whether it's, you know, overwhelmed with fear or overwhelmed with empathy, your, your resonant, capacity for feeling the suffering of the other is so powerful. That can be a beautiful thing if mm -hmm. your reaction to that, your impulse isn't to jump in and immediately rescue, because we know that sometimes we have to allow room for grieving, room for mm -hmm. sadness, room for ventilating anger, room for being able to be fearful and to experience that fear and to survive it. We wanna help our patients to feel those things that they weren't able to feel. If we're overly, I guess it's if your empathy is so strong that your impulse is to rescue, you know, you're a self-sacrificing. Well, there's type that. Of, I think that there's, there's, there's maladaptive coping, which for, for, for yeah. sure can happen. Yeah. I guess the, th the ones I'm thinking of are, are, are sort of our colleagues, therapists who have trouble sort of getting out of it, even the vulnerable child. It's sort of over empathize. It's like their vul vulnerable child is, is sort of almost enmeshed or too in tune with 
the vulnerable child of the patient. Um, uh, and you're getting that kind of uh, automatic sort of over empathizing of, um, of, of their own vulnerability. Yes. Um, do, have you run into that too? Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's yeah. where, again, Joan and Ida's beautiful work in self-reflection, self-practice yeah. is so critically important because, again, while we want to be able to resonate, we want to be able to reflect, we, we want the patient to feel that we are doing all we can to be credible witnesses mm -hmm. to their pain and understand it as deeply as we can. We don't want to hang there. You know, it's not about just hanging out there together it's really we still are the supposed to be the sturdy caregiver the one who's caring for them you know you mm. may get tears in your eyes but you don't want to fall apart in the so how do you conceptualize that like that 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 issue of i mean it always i i usually start to think about the ideas to do with enmeshment when when someone is feeling the pain of someone else so much that it's triggering off their own vulnerability in a way that's not regulated but yeah. um you know what have you got any ideas around that well, I think that's it, Rob. I think you said it. That is the conceptual framework for it. It's you're getting so triggered and you're so overwhelmed that you've lost your own healthy adult. Yeah. You've lost track of your executive function to be able to, you know, see it, recognize it. Yes, I know something about that. Oh, I can feel that too. But your healthy adult is still in leadership position. Yeah. And I think when you lose that healthy adult and you're just all vulnerable and raw yourself, yeah. You, be, you become the child. You become their child. Like. Right. And you can't treat someone when you're coming from your five-year-old self. Yeah. You know, you can't be the caregiver. It's so the work has to be something like connecting with the vulnerability, but, but also doing it from the position of your own healthy adult as much as, as, much exactly. as we can. Exactly. You know, I, mm. I mean, I guess I see that our healthiest best self is some combination of our healthy adult connected with our vulnerable child, you know, but the vulnerable child is here right safely mm. standing by maybe providing information like oh we know something about this or mm. oh that's kind of hurtful oh watch out that's dangerous and the healthy adult is managing it like a and conduit you kind of yeah, yeah it's right. behind yeah. you yeah. so the child's in the picture still but but yes. it's not in charge it's always in the picture you know yeah I mean, it's, it's carries some of the most precious evidence right our humanity yeah so, yeah. so well, we've got some evidence, you know, from the Dutch colleagues talking a bit about skin therapy being effective um, with narcissism and narcissistic yeah. personality disorders. But, you know, we, we often get asked, you know, can you cure narcissistic personality disorder? Like, you know, and, you know, if, if you can or, you know, if you get to a good point in the treatment, what does it kind of look like at the end of the treatment? I guess I don't like the word cure when it comes to mental health issues. And a lot of people ask, I'm glad you asked that question. And I'm glad you used that word because it gets asked a lot. And I think, I guess I'll say this and maybe lots of people share this point of view. Maybe they don't, but my feeling is that when people get well, when a patient gets well, when anyone gets well in their therapeutic work, what it looks like is that schemas will be activated less frequency with less frequency, intensity will be lower and recovery will be faster. So whenever, even narcissists who challenge me, like, you know, what's your success rate and how am I, how am I gonna do in here? And, you know, how, how well do you do with people and saving their marriages? And, and I'll say, look, this is how I define success. It's, it's less frequency of activation, less yeah. intensity when activated, quicker recovery. You're gonna bypass conditions that would otherwise get triggered. When you do get triggered, it'll happen, but it won't be over the top. 
Yeah. Your healthy adult will race on board more quickly. You know, so that's your healthy what... adult, you may still have, I mean, that aggrandizer is probably never going to disappear. Like you're always going to have that capability, right, yeah. to, to draw back I mean, on that. We have but, memory. You know, how, how can yeah. we, how can we, cha- I don't think anybody changes completely because we have memories. Yeah. Yeah. And I think unless you put a lesion on memory or you have brain injury, we remember. And yeah. what we want are just like to blaze new trails in the brain so that there's also... You know, we do this with imagery, right? We create yeah. new ideas of memory. We want to have that strength and that capacity to shift out of those zones yeah. as quickly as So it's more as about possible. actually in the end, um, it'll look like that there's more healthy adult functioning, you know, and that the healthy adult is in charge more often and is more readily accessible. Exactly. And your playful child, right? Because what's better than the healthy adult and the playful child? Yeah, sure. I'm guessing as well in terms of emotional needs, like, you know, would there be a change? I, I, I'm getting that in my, my head, you know, the narcissistic clients that I've worked with, the concept of emotional needs were kind of wet and you know, unappealing. I wonder if there's a change in terms of that, of actually having yes. emotional needs met. And ultimately it's the yeah. goal for yeah, a lot that, of the treatment we do. That's, that's true. And let, let me finish that question you asked, Chris, because it's really important. I think narcissists, most won't change. And that's mostly mm-hmm. because the therapist is not skillful or comfortable working with them. The mm-hmm. treatment approach is not schema therapy. I'm a little biased. Mm-hmm. I think you have to have a sturdy therapist. You have to have a good treatment approach. And there has to be something at stake for the narcissist that they don't want to face. Mm -hmm. And that has to be kept high in the treatment as you're building this relationship. They will change. I've seen narcissistic, I mean, I work mostly with narcissistic men and I work mostly with really difficult narcissistic men. Mm -hmm. And you know, they go from, you know, I don't have emotions or I don't need emotions and that's a bunch of weak crap and who needs that? And I see them go from that to really enjoying the ability to share with someone that they're frightened or that they're hurt or that they're worried or that they're concerned or that they can feel your pain. This is a real key element to schema treatment of NPD and narcissism, isn't it? It's, It's the idea of the therapeutic hook or leverage. And, and I often think, you know, without that, you really haven't got anything. Right. You got any right. tips on how to access that? I mean, obviously, you know, there's a, people come to treatment for for different reasons. But is there yeah. any ideas around developing that leverage more? Or? And how to deliver it too? Because I've I've seen I had the pleasure of seeing you work uh, in a few of your videos, and it seems you have some sort of tricks for delivering that in a way that some, they can take some ninja moves that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Chris back to his ninja moves. Yeah, they, <laughs> They, you know, they are, you have to be, I mean, for the first and foremost, you have to be very real. So we're, we know this in schema therapy. The one thing that makes us somewhat distinctly different in a very powerful way is that we show up real. We show up like yeah. humans, right? Mm-hmm. We leave the jargon behind and we show up like humans. We work hard. We're very present and very engaged in the process. When narcissists, you really have to be real because they have so much mistrust. They expect to be manipulated. They expect there to be a hierarchy. You're the expert and they're kind of at the bottom rung. They expect you to just be using them because they're paying you for services. So there's a lot of suspiciousness and expectation coming in. They're usually coming into therapy because someone has told them to get help or else, you know, you're out of here, I'm done with you. 
a little trick I've found is that being being direct with them about things actually gains their respect. Yes. In in that cutting through the crap and saying, look, yeah. you might have told that to X, Y, and Z, but mm. you know, I've sat here with you and this is what I'm seeing. This is I'm cutting yeah. through the crap. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you mm. what I think. It's right. a fair that, play. That kind of feel. The opponent. <laughs> you know, you've got to pitch it to the right person and the relationship has to be there. But um, when you get to that stage, that always feels like mm. therapy is on good ground with these guys. Absolutely. And start it as soon as possible. You know, you want to be able to say things. I mean, there's certain lines I'm using all the time because they're so relevant to narcissists. Like, it's pretty hard for you to let somebody help you pull the wagon, huh? Hard for you to turn the care over to someone else's hands. Mm. Let someone else take care of you. How hard is that for you? Mm. You know, it seems hard for you to let go of the reins. How about I take the reins a little bit? What's that like? You know, and I might even do it a little tongue in cheek at first, just because it is difficult for them. You know, they're so suspicious. They're so in need of being in control and so terrified of giving up their autonomy. Yeah. Um, I will try to predict if I don't have good leverage, the hook is to predict a future where they're going to be lonely. What's it going to be like? Yeah. What's it going to be like when you, you don't have your fans and followers, when you don't have your big fancy job, when you don't have all the goodies to hand out to everybody who's, you know, walking around grabbing your coattails. What's it going to be like when your partner leaves because she's working on getting healthy? So sometimes he- it's about connecting not to like what's the leverage is not now. It's it's like, where is this, where is this going? What's this, you know, where does this end up? What, you know, where does yeah. this, yeah. yeah. And do you and find... If, they, if they've already been insubordinate at work and they've had a couple of strikes against them, you know, say to them, look, you may be able to wheel and deal your way out of this one, but what about the next time? It may be over. You know, your very hard-earned career may be over. And what about those that turn around and say to you, on balance, there's a bit of pros and cons, there's a bit of, you know, I'm prepared to take the risk. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So I think we lose some. I mean, many actually. We do. We do. And I, what I usually say to them is, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think there's a part of you that wants to believe that you're prepared to take the risk. But there's also a part of you that's clearly concerned enough that you came in and sat down with me. And I'd like to hear from that part that has the concerns. Almost meeting it at their tone, sort of backing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And when they say, I I don't care. I don't need people that much. I'm a loner. I'll say, no, you're not. You're a human. We're wired to be connected. You calling me a liar? No, I'm not calling you a liar. I just know there's a part of you that has learned that. So almost calling it out. Yeah. 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 But there is, there is a group of, of them that I've seen that even when you do even a kind of pros and cons idea, they kind of look at it and go, this is just working too well for me at the moment. Yeah. You know, right. what, how do you approach that? I mean, a lot of them walk out the door. Um, well, I say, well, the, you wouldn't be here if it were really working for you so well. So it may be working on the one hand um, in terms of your ability to keep generating good money and being successful. Mm. But what about your relationships? Yeah. Something I often say if, if, if they are leading towards the door with that is it might be working for you now, but I just want, I, I just want you to know that my, my door is always open. And I think, yeah. I think, you know, there are other folks like me too, you know, yeah. out there. So if, if it ever doesn't work for you anymore, you know, yes. know that, that there is places you can go to, to work on this and my door's open. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I would say that as well, Rob. That's mm. great. Nice That's great. one. 
So, Wendy, look, we, we have had a great 45 minutes or so with you. And <laughs> Time flies. Yeah, that's been great. about I mean, my favourite topic. Yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing. We, we would just absorb this if we could speak for another, another hour or two. We could easily yeah. do so. Um, listen, do you want to plug your um, videos that you've got? Um, sure. Um, and, and, and your material, because everyone's always asking us for, you know, sort of more resources. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, if you just go to my website, which is just type in Wendy Beharry or disarmingthenarcissist.com, and that's where everything is. You'll find how to register for um, the online community uh, that Joan Farrell and I are facilitating. It's a schema therapy community. You'll also find for those who have um, clients or you yourself. I have some therapists in there. I'm running a community for loving, leaving and living with the narcissist in your life. And that's an online support group as well as an education group. And our videos, Jeff Conway and I uh, made these videos on fortifying the therapy relationship with some of the most challenging patients in the treatment room and schema therapy. And you can also buy them right from the website as well as my book. So everything's there. Yeah, There's podcasts that are free. There's yeah. good resources on narcissism. So check out my website. Fantastic. Great, great. Um, and Chris, do you want to plug, um, we, we have an online course coming up actually as well on tough cases. Right. Yes, it's uh, a tough cases working with uh, narcissistic, resistant and difficult unwilling, cases. Unwilling, unwilling clients. Unwilling, yeah. that's it. That's all we call yeah. it. Yeah, so that's, you can look at that at uh, schematherapytrainingonline.com as well. Great. So that's a, a sort of a... 15 lots of resources out there now yeah yeah so wendy look we really wanted to thank you for spending the time we're on different time zones but i know, you know made it work so made it was, work. thank you for, thank you for having me it's been a pleasure to be with both of you it's been I lovely it. it's been lovely wendy we have to catch up with you again sometime in the future i hope so, I hope so. wax on wax well. off Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. And maybe you'll have that metaphor developed a bit more in the next book. And, you know, we'll be seeing um, schema therapy. Don't worry. Tensei, schema therapy books and workshops. Rob Rockman. Yeah, lots of karate, ninja, you know, (laughs) this sort of stuff. Fantastic. Excellent. Thanks, man. Got it. Take care. Take care.